0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And there's a lot to talk about actually in terms of Everton today, despite there being an international break. And that's thanks to Farhad Mashidi, of course. He has increased his stake in Everton to 68.6%. It's been announced this afternoon. And he is set to increase it even further to 77.2%. That has to be done by July 2019. Now, Prenna, I'll come to you first. Obviously, we have uh, we've had a lot of discussion about this today. Uh, what what does this actually mean for Everton?
2: Um, I think it describes it as a subtle but significant shift. And I think the important thing to say is that you know it's not really come out of the blue. This when um, Farhad Mashiri, boss into Everton in February 2016, uh, he signed a binding undertaking with Bill Kenwright that he would increase his stake. Um, that wasn't expected to be happening right now. I think Everton have accelerated uh, the move to do that. And the reasons are quite clear. It's because it gives uh, Farhad Moshiri greater leverage, if you like, when it comes to uh, trying to attract investment uh, for new stadium funding. Now, 49.9% is effectively you know, the, the, the majority shareholding. I know it's a major shareholding, it's not quite majority, but in reality, 50.1% of the remaining shareholders aren't ever going to be able to get their uh, resources together to vote him out so that effectively he was, you know, the majority shareholder. But the fact that he now actually is the majority shareholder with a significantly increased shareholding, I think it just gives him greater clout when it comes to uh, trying to source investors for the new stadium. So in that respect, yeah, you know, it is quite a significant move. Um, what's also significant is the fact that he's bought all of John Woods' uh, shareholding. He's now now no longer a share, you know, or You might have one or two, but, you know, so certainly not a a significant shareholder. Likewise, Arthur Abercrombie uh, and also Bill Kenwright, he's bought out half of his shares. And I think it's also significant uh, to realise that Bill now has 5% of the remaining shares, uh, which means he's the second largest uh, remaining shareholder behind Mishiri. And the pair of them are still working very, very closely. I know people see this sometimes as being a way of maybe Bill's taking a step backwards, maybe... Um, you know, so lessening his involvement in the club that's not the case uh, the pair are working very closely together Mashiri is delighted that Bills agreed to stay on uh, and I think it should be stressed that the pair will continue to work together And um, I personally, you two might disagree uh, but I think that's very very important to Everton Football Club I think he's been a good counter uh, and a, a good
1: sounding board uh, for Farhad Mashiri in the couple of years that he's been here so far mm. Well I'll open
0: that up to you Sam what do you think about Ken Wright's future? No, I've always thought the same, obviously. He's a Marmite figure, seemingly, amongst Evertonians, isn't he? But then at the same time, you've got to look at the position we were in when he made the quite gutsy call to Sach Walter Smith back <laughs> when uh, we were quite young. I found out about that on teletext. It shows how long <laughs> ago that was. <laughs> My mum, mum rang me down, I was like, put the teletext on. and Making obviously to, ancient here, because I
2: was uh, working down at Belfield. Uh, Abel Xavier had actually run this... Uh, uh, campaign amongst the uh, the players to try and support Walter Smith. Uh, <laughs> oh, he God. was very very popular amongst the players, and obviously failed
0: miserably. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been what drove him to uh, drove him to Anfield. <laughs> um, so obviously made that decision to bring in the the somewhat unknown David Moyes at that point. And, and and I think in a lot of ways, when you remember the squad that Everton had at that time, and and the kind of the football we were playing, and the the league finishes in a lot of ways rescued a team that was was on the down and although it's felt like a, a pretty miserable few last few years, it's a lot better than, than what that was. And I think then the ultimate example really is this summer, isn't it? In, in the players we've brought in. I think yeah. uh, every you know, I think it was Marco Silva and Marcel Brands themselves who said I think it might have been Brands on deadline day who kind of said how important not just he and Silva were to negotiations, but Machiery pulled his weight and Ken Right pulled his weight with the with the domestic deals as well. And I think a lot of people Forget that and jump to conclusions and jump to kind of maybe read between the lines and, and and come up with conclusions that aren't quite correct. So I think, as Dave says, completely agree that Ken writes a lot of experience of, of, of Everton, you know, loves Everton, a lot of experience of the English game it has got to be the, the perfect kind of foil, it's, hasn't he? It's, it's very, very interesting, the dynamic between the two.
2: Because let, let's not forget that Bill Kenwright attracted Farhad Mashiri to Everton. He got a lot of flack for not selling the club for a long, long time. And that was because he wanted the guy that he felt comfortable with, that he felt was correct for the football club. And he thought that Farhad Mashiri was that right man. Now, I wouldn't say that everything Farhad's done has been absolutely spot on. You know, he, he's made a few strange comments. He's made, you know, a couple of errors. And the pair of them certainly haven't been in agreement over everything. I mean, notably Sam Allardyce's uh, appointments. I think it's quite, you know, sort of an open secret now that, you know, Bill wasn't wildly enthusiastic about that idea. uh, Before had saw his investments, he saw his... um, this football club in danger of being relegated so made that call himself but largely you know so he does listen to bill kenwright's advice he does use him uh, in the correct manner and the pair of them have been quite a decent double act i would suggest so far you know that, yeah. that will continue hopefully you know in the in time to come
0: I think as long as he stops sending iPhone notes to Jim White, we're all <laughs> well, we're all does, pretty pleased, does, aren't we?
2: That does appear to have cooled that relationship. Yeah, I think
1: we're all happy to see the back <laughs> of that, really, aren't we? Let's not have him ringing off Jim White on a deadline day anymore. Yeah, no. let's let's have none of that. But as as we've obviously just said, there, Sam Preno thinks that this is obviously a deal that's built around getting a, a better plan for stadium investment.
0: That's gotta be a promising step really for Everton, hasn't it? Yeah, there's it's it's a little bit like kind of there hasn't been lots and lots of development on, on the stadium front, so anything that can kind of kick start that and and start getting the wheels in motion and you know, you kind of now I know Spurs have had their own kind of problems with their new stadium, but you do kind of start looking and, you know, until that first kind of spade goes in the ground, it's all up in the air a little bit, isn't it? I think one of the major things you know, bring a lot of positivity now to, to, to kinda get some firm, clear directions. And obviously, you know, I think they appointed the kind of the guy recently to kind of yeah, Colin yeah. Chong. Yep. Mm. They appointed him to kind of, you know, work closely with the with the stadium and, and, and you can see that there's a lot of hard work going in behind the scenes when you when you look at like some of the stuff Denise has said and, and, and things like that. So there's a lot of hard work going, isn't it? And and obviously I'm not expecting there to be a resolution too too soon and obviously I don't think they're going to start laying the foundations next week by any means, but mm. as you said, a positive step.
2: I think what this does do is underline that Everton are looking further afield uh, as regards funding for the new stadium. You know, for a long time uh, they were not committed to, but they were certainly looked like they were going to use the uh, the city council's uh, funding vehicle, which in turn comes from central government. And the City benefits from that because, you know, the City Council gets the interest that Everson, you know, so it would have been paying uh, a private investor. But they are looking elsewhere now. There's lots of uh, rumours and counter-rumours. And, you know, I know Phil Kirkbride, our Everson correspondent, is working hard on, um, you know, potential investment uh, vehicles that Everson might be looking at. Uh, but this just does indicate, I think, that, you know, they're spreading the net wide. You know, so Had Mishiri is now in a stronger position to attract potential investors And So hopefully that will be the next uh, significant announcement that comes from the football club Mm -hmm. as you go behind the scenes stuff rather than on the field stuff.
1: Mm. And same with you for a sec, Preno. Obviously we've seen a lot of investment on the pitch as well since Farhad Meshiri's come in in February 2016. Obviously with Ronald Koeman and uh, Steve Walsh, a lot of that investment kind of went down the drain a little bit, but it looks like it's a very different scenario now with Marco Silva and Marcel Brands. Do you think maybe him increasing his shareholder means that we'll see a lot more investment on the pitch in the future?
2: Um, I think, well, his investment's already been considerable. Uh, I don't think he's got any plans in uh, you know, reining it in. I know this summer was a little bit different. You know, We had that situation whereby we were told you know he wanted to see a reduction in the wage bill, he wanted to see players off the payroll before other players were attracted. And that wasn't a question of him, you know, losing an appetite or losing enthusiasm for the project. I think he was just fed up seeing, you know, the, the amount of money that was wasted last summer. And he wanted to see some of those guys that, you know, so sort of hadn't really hit the ground running, moved on before he was willing to, you know, bring more in. It was just prudence, you know, housekeeping because um, you know the money they spent again was quite considerable. Uh, you know it was all quite close to the other uh, transfer deadline. We were getting a bit concerned at one stage in this room talking about uh, how little transfer business had been done. Uh, but ultimately, it was. I think what's also significant is a lot of those players still haven't really been seen yet on the pitch. And uh, it was likened. Uh, was it the piece that you wrote, Adam? I can't remember now. That, um when uh, Roberto Martinez first came in, his first four games in charge of Everson are almost identical to the first four of Marco Silva's. Mm. If you think about it, it was quite a flat start. Um, 0-0 draws against Cardiff and West Brom, scraped past Stevenage it in the League Cup. I remember going into one of the lounges after a game and a guy, I'm not going to embarrass by naming him, but was absolutely appalled at what he'd been seeing and said, I'm not going to watch Everton again. He was a season ticket solider for 50 odd years. This bloody tippy-tappy football, I can't watch any more of that. <laughs> he was absolutely
0: appalled. Anyway. That he, then, m- he missed a great season. Well, if Lord, he's no, lived to I think he carried on watching. But that did become
2: like a great season. Once Romelu Lukaku was on board, once Gareth Barry was playing regularly, you know. So once the players that he brought in in the summer hit the ground running. Now, likewise, this summer, um, okay, we've seen bits of Lucas Digne, but we haven't seen Yeri Mina yet. We haven't seen Andre Gomez yet. You know, Richarlison. We saw you know a very, very impressive. You know, of two or three games until he had the rush of blood. Uh, So we've still got more to see from him. So hopefully, when those new signings embed in. Uh, we'll see you know even better than what we 've seen already and Phil Jagielka this is a piece you 've definitely written to yeah. read that today um, Phil Jagielka has uh, admitted that you know that it has made it easier for the players in the squad uh, because trying to bring in five or six new players into a new team and a new system can be very, very difficult as Ronald Koeman discovered last summer. This time it's only been, you know, one or two new faces, you know, sort of being introduced very, very gradually. And then hopefully once they're embedded in, we'll then see Yeri Meen we'll then see Andre Gomez. And it'll all knit a little bit more you know, fluidly and a little bit better than maybe it was last summer. So you know, it's been a solid start. That's not get too carried away. It's been okay. Games that we'd expect to see results in, we've got results in. But fingers crossed we
1: can build on that now. Yeah, hey, we'll stay staying on that theme. For the West Ham game, we've probably have three of the new sign-ins available in Bernard Kurt Zuma, and Lucas Digne. will probably all be available for that game Sam would you throw them all in or if not which ones would you keep out
0: uh, well obviously Zuma should keep his place after the, the Huddersfield game where he was pretty much man of the match who who do the two uh, Lucas Digne and probably Bernard um, yeah well D- Dean and Zuma both started the Huddersfield game didn't they so they, they keep their place uh obviously they were two of our standout performers in, in, in that game and, and both played well in the League Cup game uh, as well, so against Rotherham. So no arguing with that one. Bernard probably a little bit too soon, obviously brought him on for a few minutes against Bournemouth and end up in being injured, which is symptomatic of a player who has only played a few games in the last year was and, you know, hasn't had a pre season. So I think with Richardson still missing, I'd probably give the nod to maybe Adam Old Luckman who's who's starting for England under 21 today and hopefully can get some more good minutes under his belt and, and show us all why Evertonians were so desperate to, to keep Oldham in the summer. I don't think it's worth rushing Bernard in for the sake of it. And as Dave said, it's it's exciting times to to look forward. You know, It's almost like a kind of aut- autumnal transfer window, isn't it? To have three players who sure. a lot of Evertonians won't have seen anything of to, to, come, into, to come into the team. Mm. I'm just... I don't want
2: to tempt fate here. Choosing me, it's carefully, but the fact that it's West Ham this Sunday always seems to be that team that you know. So Everton do pretty well against mm-hmm. teams at home and away, and just one of those fixtures that you know you always look to with reasonable levels of confidence. Uh, and given the start that they've made to the season, you know it, it could be a game yet yeah, to introduce you know one or two more. Maybe Bernard's the guy that I think we really want to see. You know he's, he's got such a, a, a good reputation, such a good track record. It's right that you can only introduce him when he's absolutely fit and ready. And, you know, maybe just, you know, introduce him from the bench to begin with. Uh, Luckman, he's got a lot, lot to prove, I, I still think. Um, there was that one run, you know, against Huddersfield that, you know, nearly opened things up, which is what he can do. But we've got to see it more consistently. And uh, I think he's still got a fair bit to prove, you know, to, to certainly to oust, you know, Richarlison and Theo Walcott from starting positions. But then again, Walcott's fitness, you know, is a, is a bit 50-50, so we might have to call on him. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, you know, the, the gauntlet's thrown down to Adam ola as and when he does get that
0: opportunity, it's up to him to
2: take
0: it. I think that's the other thing, isn't it? We're, we're touching on there. You mentioned Adam O'Luckman and that England under-21s game this afternoon. You know, So you've got not only these new players to come back, but starting for England under-21s today in a European qualifier. You've got Adam O'Luckman, John Joe Kenny, Kieran Dahl, Tom Davis, Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the bench. And I think the only one who's featured prominently out of them five is Tom Davis, isn't it? So yeah. to think mm. that you've got... Four lads there, also waiting in the wings, who are potentially the future of English football, and two of them, Davies and sorry Dal and Lukman won the under twenties World Cup yeah. together as well. Kenny, Kenny was and there. Kenny yeah. won as well. So three McMahon of them was, of, was the there. Calvallum was he scored there a goal? There we go. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> of them, all, all of them won the twenty World Cup with England. So you know, you've you've, you've, pretend, you've got three lads there, uh, proven internationals who've you know yeah mean at the World Cup, Gomez and uh, at Barcelona. Bernard, great reputation, and and then these young lads as well, who, who who I think have got a lot of potential as well. Obviously, I think it's a little bit harder to kind of recognise where does Keaton Dahl fit in behind Sigurdsson, where does John Joe Kenny fit in when Seamus Coleman's fit, where does Dominic Calvert Lewin fit in? But you know, the, this is the first time in a long time. I think we, you know, thinking about what we said earlier about clearing out the dead wood, I think there's a there's a genuine good mix of of youth, experience, kind of. And, and those little bits that last season were just missing, and and, and those plugs, the uh, those holes, sorry, that Steve Walsh and Ronald Cooiman failed to plug, kind of thing, have just been tightened up a little bit. The, the interesting one of all the players you mentioned there for me is Calvert Lewin, uh,
2: big fan of his, and yeah, you know, I think he's he's got a lot to offer. And Cheng Tosin, you could argue, is probably the most vulnerable of all the players, you know, in the positions uh, that those young players fill, largely because he hasn't scored this season, but. You know, he has offered plenty of other things as well. I mean, he created goals against Wolves, created goals against Bournemouth with decent touches. And we've seen that touch for Turkey last night. How good was that? Oh, the outside yeah. of the such a good touch, assist, Sublime assist. So, you know, he is bringing other things into his game, but, you know, Strikers are there basically to score goals, and Calvert-Lewin has done that in his last couple of appearances. So you know, I think you can safely say that he's, you know Tosin's probably feeling Calvert-Lewin's breath, you know, sort of down his uh, back of his neck now, and uh, he's knocking firmly on the door. And you know, if he again, if he gets his opportunity, you know, he's showing at the moment he's capable of taking a competition for places. That's what you want. You know, yeah. That's that's what you know. Marco Silva said uh, this summer he wanted two players in every position. He hasn't got that. Uh, throughout
1: the squad yet, but he has in some areas, and you know, so that's certainly one of them. Mm. I think, uh, unfortunately, one of the players who's not going to be available for Everton against West Ham is Richarlison, as we've already mentioned. But he's having a very good international break, isn't he? He made quite a historic debut again uh, for Brazil against the USA at, at the uh, at the weekend, and he's set to start for Brazil. So, how exciting is that going to be for Everton, Sam, to have a Brazilian international finally? I- I'm gonna go out and
0: get the full Brazil kit. <laughs> you haven't got one already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Get Richarlison R nine, R oh, nine. Oh, nine on the back <laughs> of me.
2: Uh... You know what? I'm, I'm made up about it. We've got a decent, you know, striker with a number nine on his back for so long you know that's a, an iconic number at everton football club and yeah you know, without wanting to disrespect sancho or other players that have had it in recent years it's not really been filled by a suitable figure over the last few years it is now i think richarlison okay not a traditional center forward yeah but he's a goal scorer
1: you know and he looks the part oh well, yeah he's number 9 for Brazil, yeah I was say, isn't what he what number is he Everton? he's 30
0: 30, is he? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Who is number nine for Evan? We haven't got one. now, number really?
1: nine. It was, was Sandro, and now oh, he's, Sandra, moved he's out gone. Give it to
0: yeah, Can you change, <laughs> you change, can you change you the emphasis? Well, to be fair, yeah, uh, uh, you know, you, you, what a vote of confidence that is, though, as Pen was kind of saying, to make your Brazil debut with the number nine on your back, and, and obviously. Although, to be fair, it's number 10 of Brazil, isn't it? Pelé's number. It well, yeah. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> but still, obviously, a, a, another kind of option for Silver that yeah. the Charleston could potentially play down the middle. And Tosin probably will be feeling the heat. The only thing I think with Tosin is, you look back at quite a few of the goals we've already scored this season and, and he has had a part to play in them at some point, And it's kind of, you know, you're, we're still unbeaten. And I, I wouldn't say there would be any need to change Tosin until things really started going awry or he, he kind of had one of those... You know, you look back a few years ago, probably Nikit Jelovic should have got taken out the team a lot earlier than, you know, he eventually did because we had no other striker and he, he just had to play through the drought in the end, didn't he? But, you know, Tosin still looks confident and, and, and looks sharp and had kind of developed a nice little partnership with Richarlison and Theo Walcott and Gilfie Sigurdsson, hadn't he? Until, as Dave said, Richarlison had that little rush of blood. So, you know, Richarlison really, I think, the, 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 the best part about it for Everton is that maybe if he'd just been sent off and he had three games to stew in the stands... You know, you lose a bit of match fitness, you lose a bit of sharpness, maybe your head goes down a little bit, only a young lad not playing football with this three weeks off. You know, he's played two games for Brazil, he's made his debut, he'll be absolutely flying with confidence and he'll be ready to come back and first game back against Arsenal at the Emirates, is it? Mm, Yeah. Uh, What a game to come back into and a ground Everton have never, ever won a, you know, a lot of Evertonians my age, never even seen us win away at Arsenal, I've. No, I, I oh, haven't, I can't the
2: remember Oh God, well I was there the last time and um, <laughs> it was a long time ago it was uh, Graham Stewart and Andre Konczelska scored uh, 2-1 in 1995-96 I think back at Highbury, a lovely old stadium but yeah, it's traditionally a stadium or traditionally a football club Everton have never done well against away from home but yeah, it, it, it's wrong you know, to have never won a match at a particular stadium that they go to every single season no, that's, that's got to change sometime soon. There's a few we could say that about though, Stamford Bridge. Let's not even talk about a mile or so. I've got <laughs> uh, one One. <laughs> well,
0: I, I think in my lifetime, and I've seen us win that Oviedo one at, Man- at Manchester United. Uh, we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on pens in the FA Cup, so I'll take that all day. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. And I think we've won once or twice at Spurs, a couple of times at Spurs. Yeah. If, uh, Spurs isn't too for bad. some
1: reason, I, just don't st- I, just, I still don't class Spurs. is that, like, upper echelon. Club. No, they're still, they're, they're, they're they're still just like pretenders almost to me. Well, I don't know what that's set for their run over the last few years. Well, but, yeah. uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I think the other big news of the international break came out yesterday that Seamus Coleman has had to pull out of the Ireland squad through injury. Breno, is that a massive blow to Everton?
2: Um, under normal circumstances, you would say, you know, so yes, because Seamus Coleman is such a, an influential figure. Uh, not just in terms of his play, but in terms of his leadership, uh, you know, in terms of his, you know, sort of what he, you know he brings, you know, sort of onto the pitch. But I'll caveat that with saying his form so far this season has not been great. You know, we've seen him play far better. John Joe Kenny is actually, you know, busting a gut, you know, sort to of try and get back into that team. And uh, the, the, the bits of games he has played, he's looked very impressive. So you know, he's going to try and put pressure on the manager. Uh, so it might not be such as big a blow as we had initially thought i mean it, it, it's weird because for, for me coleman and baines have been two of the most like so sort of influential figures at everton over the last few seasons massive fan of both of them and again we've sat in this room and i've argued the to toss about why leighton Baines should still be playing and lucas dinier shouldn't be uh, lucas dinier has exploded that you know so sort of argument with his performances in the last couple of games you know so he's in the team on merit and is keeping baines out on merit Seamus Coleman. I mean, let's hope the same kind of thing happens with John Joe Kenny. That you know, so he does nail down a place and hold it down on merit, because you know Coleman is you know sort of one of the Premier League's you know sort of best right backs. But you know he's not getting any younger. Um, he did have a very very long spell out with injury, but came back very successfully at the end of last season. But he started this season slowly.
1: So you know it's up to John Joe you know, if he can uh, you know sort of grab the opportunity with both hands. You know it's up to him. Well, Dave's mentioned Seamus' performances so far this season. Obviously the injury. Plays a big factor as well. Do you think he's maybe suffering from a, a little bit of a hangover from from that injury, Sam? Like, obviously, when you come back from such a ser- serious injury, you're playing on adrenaline almost for those first couple of matches, aren't you? Do you think maybe that's just worn off a bit, and he's try he's trying to build himself back up after having a summer off?
0: I'm not sure. I think he came back in late January, didn't he? So I wouldn't say it'd be too much about having an injury hangover. I think it might just be down to you know you hold. Seamus Coleman to such high standards because I think in all the years watching him, you know, since we signed him as this kind of raw potential lad from Ireland, you, you've never really seen Seamus Coleman be anything less than a seven out of ten week in week out. Whether that was right midfield, right back, whether we were winning, whether we were losing, whether we were on the attack or under the cosh, Seamus Coleman never let you down, did he? And, and that's not to say he has at all this season either because he hasn't, but he just hasn't hasn't hit those usual heights. And you know, what it happens. It, it's it's one of those things I think. Leighton Baines has gone through similar spells as well on, on the left side, and again, it's the it's the luxury of having having a good squad, isn't it? And, and John Joe Kenny can come in if needed on, on Sunday, and I'm sure he won't let anyone down either. And I'm sure, you know, he he can contribute something going forward and and defensively. But you you always want James Coleman in in your Everton team for for as long as as long as you can have him. Obviously,
1: Sam's mentioned there that Kenny is perfectly capable of stepping up. You mentioned. Leadership a, a bit earlier there, Preno. Kenny was the captain for the Premier League Two, 2016-17 campaign, wasn't he? Do you think maybe he do he will have the leadership qualities that we, we need in that position?
2: I think that's quite an ambitious call, given the fact that you know he's such a young lad who's you know sort of not played that much football you know over the last 12 months or so. I find it quite weird you know so sort of how that armband is being passed around this season. I think you know four already you know this season. Um, you'd imagine that, you know,
1: so if James Coleman doesn't play... you know. If so Coleman doesn't play and Baines doesn't play, and Jagielka won't play. No. Who, who, who becomes Everton captain in that situation? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a, call.
2: That's I mean, a good point, and, isn't it? Well, Morgan Schneidlin is possibly yeah. the most um,
0: most, seen experienced the most experienced, and seen, yeah. isn't he? And
2: but, I mean, again, that that was a, a really great interview he gave this week, Morgan yeah. Schneidlin, yeah. about... Yeah. Um, and credit where credit's due, we sat down with Paul Joyce, one of uh, the old boys of this place. Um, you know, he used to work here many years ago and uh, works for the Times now. And he sat down with him and gave quite a, quite an honest, um, well, he claimed, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of assessment of what happened You know, that afternoon on the training pitch. We're not going to go back. I think he sugarcoated what happened that day. Uh, I'm not saying I disbelieve him. I just think he's uh, put a you know, slightly uh, rosier tint on it than actually what happened. But that's water under the bridge. That, that that's last season. That's gone. Um, his form this season has been very, very good. And uh, he did say that he wants to prove to Evertonians that you know, so he does care about the football club. That he does give a monkey's about you know, so you know his form and about you know, so what's what's happening on the pitch. And it looks like he is showing that so far. So fair play. I mean, if we see the Morgan Schneiderlin that first arrived at Everton Football Club from Man United and. Uh, if he'd have transposed that form over an entire season, he could arguably have been player of the season that season rather than Lukaku, yeah. uh, but it didn't. He was only here for half a season. His form was awful at times last season, but he's come back you know, sort of stronger and more committed. So, yeah, if we're seeing that, that could be a call. You know, so he could be the guy you know, with the armband. It'd be interesting to see what the fans make of that because you know, I think there's plenty behind him, plenty still a little bit sceptical. But I can't really think of many others. Mm. I mean, Pickford, like you say, again, Dave, a, if
0: you, Davis starts, though, would he just get it again? Yeah, Davis has Does actually won it, hasn't he? But, you know, again, Schneiderland, Garner, and well, Ga- Sigurdsson. But Garner could also be injured, couldn't he?
1: Well, if, if, if fit, you presume Garner. Garnish, Schneider.
0: Well, you know what, so we're t- harking
2: back to a season that, oh God, I remember it, was a 97-98 was an abysmal season for Everson Football Club and it was underlined how abysmal it was by the number of p- players that wore the captain's armband <laughs> that year. It's like <laughs> Howard Kendall couldn't make his mind up. John Hutchison had it. Nick Barnby wore it. Slam and oh. Billich wore it. Uh, I think there were five or six uh, Duncan, captains that, so Duncan that Duncan got it and he kept it in the end. He scored a hat-trick with his first, you know, first game winner. So that was a good decision. Uh, But that was, you know, a revolving, you know, sort of armband because whoever wore it didn't really impress. I mean, this season, I think it's because of injuries and because of circumstances, really, that's being passed around. But, you know, it it could reach those figures very, very quickly,
1: Mm. you know, sort of five or six new skippers. Yeah. So let's say that potentially Morgan Schneider does start as Everton captain against West Ham. Sam, that represents a massive turnaround for him, wouldn't it? Obviously, you monitor social media quite a lot. Have you seen... A, a significant
0: change in attitude towards Morgan in this season. I wouldn't say it's, it's significant, and, and I still think it's probably a little bit too early to tell, isn't it? I, think I was quite impressed with his first few games. Uh, I don't know. I, I still don't think he's doing those things like as Dave said, that he was doing when he first arrived, and you kind of thought, you know, he was like the Uber Gareth Barry, wasn't he? You know, I think Barry just got to that stage where he was just a little bit too old to do the things that we wanted to do. Whatever, and then Schneidlin came in, and he could. You know, he had the position and the body. he could tackle, he could pass, he could open the game up. Almost the perfect foil for Garner's had he. And, you know, he, Schneiderlin isn't someone who's going to run from one side of the pitch to the other to chase the ball down. But he just seemed to be in the right places and and kind of just fill in those little gaps where if, if Garner got sucked out. Um, last season, all of that was missing. Uh, and, and I think that was the most disappointing part of the whole thing, wasn't it? Like, the only thing Evertonians ever expect from someone really is for them to give hundred percent, and I think, you know, there was a few instances, wasn't there, that were flagged up on social media. Maybe like, I think that GIF image of the Arsenal game, where it kind of almost looked yeah. as if he didn't want to close down a shot, uh, and, and stuff like that's never gonna, never gonna put you in in good stead. I think the thing that I'd say would probably be what an opportunity that would be, wouldn't it, to walk out of Goodison to be the captain, you know, less than a year after you were getting booed onto the pitch and sort of as. as Preno said he he was well aware of, he was well aware that he was being booed onto the pitch. And, you know, it, it does take a lot of bottle this summer to stay and, and say, right, I'm going to fight for my place, doesn't it? Because no doubt there will have been interest from French teams and who who'll have been looking to to reinforce their midfield. So, yeah, I, 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 the way Silvers gave it to Davis, I think that there could probably be a left-field choice like Pickford, like Kenny, to, to be the captain. But if it was Schneiderlin, I think... The, the, he wouldn't need no team talk, really, would he? Just be go out there and, and all this stuff you've kind of said the last few weeks, go and go and kind of put do yeah. it when it matters on the it, on it, pitch. It, it's
2: weird because, you know, the, the captaincy c- can go one of two ways. I mean, we mentioned Duncan then, you know, the way he responded to getting the armband, you know, it was like a man possessed, you know, so it meant so much to him. And it reflected, you know, in his performance. And that was great man management by Howard Kendall. I think he spotted that in him. And, you know, so he got the reaction he wanted. But equally, there are other players that it can weigh really heavily that responsibility and they think, you know, sort of too much about their game. I don't know what kind of character Morgan Schneiderlin is, you know, so sort of which camp he falls into. You know, he could be a guy that would respond well to it and would, you know, you know, get a real lift, a real boost to his performance, you know, for having that responsibility given to him. Or it could be somebody, you know, who thinks, you know, sort of too long and hard about his game. Only, you know, Marco Silva will know that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know who does you know so which way he
1: does go at the weekend. Well, of course, this is only like, speculation. Like, Col- Coleman may well be fit enough to play. At the weekend, Well, yeah, like we he, don't know. I mean, but
2: it, it could be a precaution. We hope so. You know,
1: yeah. he was uh, he came back with an unspecified ankle injury. We don't know what it is. It but, would be strange for Martin O'Neill yeah. and Ireland to take precaution over an Everton player <laughs> over injury though, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. If we're honest, another name that I will throw out there though, just in case Coleman's injured, gilfie Sigurdsson, he has captained uh, Iceland. Over yeah. the
0: international break, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Wouldn't yeah. be a bad shot start to yeah, the yeah. season. Well, hopefully, get a, add a few more, just got to add a few more goals to his game. Now, I think only uh, yeah. player played every
2: match as well. You know, he made you know widespread changes for the Rotherham game, but you know, Gilfrey didn't. He stayed yeah. in there, and uh, I, I like him a lot. Big yeah. fan of his, and yeah, I would be completely comfortable seeing him. You know, sort of lead Everton house.
0: I think what I've been impressed with with Gilfrey this season was that obviously, you know, the the injury curtailed his season a little bit earlier than others, but know, didn't didn't do anything major at the World Cup. You know, not that Iceland were expected to, but I think Missed a penalty. Yeah, he missed the penalty, <laughs> but you know, obviously didn't, didn't impress in maybe a yeah. way either wanted to. But yeah. you know, I think last season if if you'd spent ten, fifteen, twenty million on Sigurdsson you would have been really pleased with what with what he did. And I think just obviously having to pay that price tag was is something that's always gonna weigh heavily on any player, isn't it? And I think especially coming into a team that was struggling so badly but this season already, you know, He's looked every inch a, a kind of forty million player, hasn't he? You know, he's an, he's been good on the ball. He's got a couple of assists from set his set pieces. Look absolutely wicked this season, don't they? And if I was Yeti Mina, I'd be licking my six foot five inch lips. Well, I mean, I don't think, it's I don't think his lips, that lips are that big, <laughs> but I think <laughs> he's that tall. I think the lips maybe at the top of his licking six foot five, six frame. five frame. Licking his whole uh, six foot five frame. At the chance to to nod one of those corners in, and I think. What was the seat? Was it Hinchcliffe to... Hinchcliffe to, well, Ferguson and ride out the RAF, as they were uh, christened by myself. So, <laughs> <hopefully. laughs> yeah, so, hopefully. not surprised by Well, that we had I to miss
2: Schoenig and Shooter, so we tried to think of something different. <laughs> the RAF, and Ferguson, it never really caught on. No, so, never.
0: you know, obviously you, you could have that that from set pieces, you know, the likes of him and, and Michael Keane's a big lad and Kurt Zuma, amazing at attacking the football, so you know, that, that could be another kind of... So r- Michael Kuhn,
2: you mentioned there, would be interesting to see, you know, whether he's available or, you know, considered or not, because he was playing so well, you know, so prior yeah. to that... heading. he's injury. still got a,
1: time, a timeout still, hasn't really, yeah. he? Can't, yeah, he's still not allowed to head the ball. Oh, that's I, a, that's I, a, a shame, think. because, you know, he was looking, you know, finally so comfortable. I um, think in know, that Bournemouth game in particular, like, I was saying to Phil, obviously me and Phil travelled down to the game yeah. to watch that, and I was, I was saying even in the first half that he was dominating every aerial battle. It was no surprise to me to see him scored in a header. Um, Even his bravery to even jump for that one so late in the game, obviously he was working so hard to try and preserve the point that we had at at that stage. So, yeah, I I think it would be a real shame if he were to drop out the team altogether. I'd I'd like to see him given the opportunity when he's fit again.
0: Key might be the ultimate beneficiary of the summer transfer spender, mightn't he? Because it might, you know... There was times last year where he looked genuinely near, he almost looked like a young player who was mm. like taking his first steps into the, fi- he didn't He didn't show that he was a player who'd played for England or played a, over the full a season in the defense. Premier League. Yeah, who was rated one of the best players in the Premier League the season before he joined. You know, and, and maybe in in that Bournemouth thing, there was almost symptoms, wasn't there, of, of him saying, all right, you know, the club have went out here and, and they've obviously identified centre-back as a position to strengthen, you know, not just because of Ashley Williams' decline, not just because Jags is getting older, but because he looked shaky at times, didn't he? And and now he's he's obviously when he returns has got to say he's got a genuine fight on his hands with Mason Holgate, who I think has been really impressive. Phil Jagielka, the club captain, Kurt Zuma who's been amazing in his first two games, and and then a a thirty million, twenty-seven million pound player in Yedemir from Barcelona. and... You know, all that, that, that will shut. If that doesn't improve your game, then I don't think anything will. Will it? Mm, hope so. So that's all we've got time for, for today. Thank you, Sam, thank
1: you, Preno, for joining me for today's podcast. Uh, we'll have a lot more on uh, the West Ham game later in the week. Obviously, reflect on Marco Silva's press conference, and don't forget, of course, to review and subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest Everton news with the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.